Um, my name is Clay Holcomb. I'm the executive director of our Cross Creek Network. You just saw some videos, uh, some of the features in the in the. The video we just shared were about some of our work across around the world. And actually just this week, uh, I was in New York City with that team that you saw, that team of students uh, in New York City. Last week, we got home Friday night. Uh, we were working with our Cultivate church plant team up there in New York City who we sent out about three years ago. And can I just tell you, they are killing it up there. They are doing an amazing, amazing, amazing job. And so, um, and not only the team up there, not only the, the church planters up there, but uh, our students and the team that we sent up there just did an incredible job. Uh, Leanne and I got to be a part of the, the adults that helped lead them. Bailey Four, our student ministry leader, did a whoop whoop job. She was awesome. Uh, just a great time. Uh, in the city. If you don't know about Cultivate Church, if you're, if you're newer to our church here and don't know what that is, Cultivate is a, a church that we sent out about three years ago. And we have stayed uh, intimately involved with them. We're not just connected. We are, we are with them in every, in every step. We help them in so many different ways. Uh, they are right there in the heart of Harlem doing some work in some very challenging areas. And they are just doing an amazing, amazing job. Sunday night, we were at worship. Uh, they have an office space, just to give you a little context. They have an office space that'll seat, I don't know, it can accommodate probably 20 people comfortably, 25. It's an office space. You know, that's what it is. We had over 50 in worship there that they have right now they have right now don't tell the fire marshal up there in, in Harlem okay don't tell them that okay uh, we have currently uh, coming people that are called cultivate their church about 150 people that come through there on every you know every couple of weeks and most of them aren't there every Sunday and so about 150 people that call cultivate uh, their church and I can just tell you you can be so proud of those guys they are just working the field loving on people preaching the gospel working hard Monday through Friday doing an amazing work um, our team got to go up there and participate in some of their biggest uh, ministry outreaches of of the year this and Christmas was about their biggest time uh, we reached over 800 people over three days with community events, family events, uh, things, outreaches right there in the heart of, of the housing projects that they serve in. And so your kids did amazing. Over 800, it was, let me just say, it was a lot of people, okay? It was, and, and those 800 were concentrated within just a few hours, okay? It was, it was quite intense. And if you've ever, if you've ever been to New York City, you know, New York City is kind of like, it's, it's like a sensory experience 24-7, right? That's a, that's a fun way to say it, amen? That's a fun way to say it. It is, it is nonstop action, nonstop people, nonstop noise, cars, subways, music playing, people talking. It's, and there's buildings upon buildings upon buildings. I mean, it's just, it is aptly named the city that never sleeps. And uh, if you've been there, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And you, there were some, and with that in mind, and I'm not from New York City, I've been there several times now, but there's some stressful moments being in a place like New York City. I had a few. The first, uh, first day when our students got there, uh, we were getting on the subway. If you, how many of you have ever ridden the subway in these places? So you, you know already, you're like, okay, I know where, I know, yeah. 
uh, we were getting all these students on the subway, and I was, I was uh, pulling up sweeper at this particular time, making sure everybody was on, and, and they were kind of moving a little bit slow getting onto the subway, and so I got right there at the edge, and my backpack got stuck in the door, okay, of the subway, all right? So stress point number one, okay? Because, and let me just tell you, you can pull your backpack through the subway door if you're motivated enough, okay? So that was a little bit stressful. We had another actual uh, transit stress moment at the end of the trip. We were on our way back to LaGuardia Airport taking the bus and uh, we, we had everything mapped out and we got to our bus stop and, you know, we're prepping everybody up and down the bus. This is our stop. This is our stop. Get off here. Get off here. You know, because a lot of us don't know. And get off here. Yeah, yeah, here. This one. Yeah, yeah, here. So we get off the bus. Well, the bus stops. Psst, doors open. About three of our, of our ladies step out. Psst, out to the bus. And we go, oh, wait, wrong one. Wrong bus stop. Psst, the door's shut. <laughs> we're going, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And it was particularly stressful for me because one of them ladies was my wife. Okay, so I figure I need to solve this problem, okay? And then the bus door went, psst, opened back up, and they stopped, and then shut again on them, and, finally, and they finally got back in. But that was a little bit, uh, that was a stressful moment right there. I think my biggest stressful moment, though, actually for me, came in the midst of the, uh, the outreach events. Uh, my wife and I were the one, we were doing food, and so we were passing out free pizza. Uh, we had pepperoni and cheese, so Two options of, of pepperoni and cheese. And, you know, free pizza, a bunch of kids. You can just, you know what that's going to be like, right? Um, so pepperoni and cheese was, an, was the thing. I had the, I had the rather simple task of simply handing out drinks and frozen ices. Not complicated. It's free. I don't have to make change. I don't have to do anything. They have tickets to give us. After a while, I said, I don't even need a ticket. Here, here's your drink. Here's your icy. The problem was there were four options of drinks. Okay, some of you that work with kids, you already know this is not good. Okay, four options with drink and about nine different colors of icy. Okay, and so we had, you know, I was sitting there managing all this. I felt like I was in, uh, in octopus mode trying to handle all this stuff. So, uh, so it's had some stressful moments uh, along the way. Icy's not being the least of which, probably the bus one was the, the biggest one, uh, I have to say. But some of you, this, this, this series, we're talking about peaks and valleys. We're talking about anxieties and, and stresses and, and how you handle those things in the moment. And we've all got them, right? We've all got the things uh, that, that we do to kind of relieve some stress. I know some of you in here... <clears throat> Uh, some of you are exercise people, right? You're the exercise folks. You're the ones that, you know, you get out and run it out. I do that sometimes, okay? Uh, some of us are the, the, the eating people, right? We're going to go get something to eat. We did a lot of that in New York City. That was our go-to stress reliever. Am I right? I see Bailey right there. That was our go-to. I think in New York City, that was our go-to. We got plenty of exercise with the walking. Uh, so you might be eating. That can get a little dangerous though. Some of you might be shopping, okay? That's, that, that, that one can get really, really kind of uh, risky from time to time. But so we've all got stress relievers, exercise, food, uh, uh, shopping, who knows what. Some of you, if you're a young parent, it's just sleeping and having nobody speak to me forever, for days. That's your, that's your stress reliever if you're, if you're a young parent. That's where you're at. Um, but really, when we, when we look at how we relieve those things, when we look at how we deal with that stuff, you know, it really kind of gives us an indication of what we believe about God. It gives us an indication of where we believe God is in our life in the everyday situations that we deal with. Uh, I, I wanna let you in on a little bit more of, of our passion 
and some of our um, convictions in our, in our Cross Creek network. So you saw the missionaries up there. And I told you about the mission work and the, the, the tough soil. You saw pictures of Lusaka, Israel, Montreal, different places like that. And we, and we spend a good amount of our time working with our missionaries, with the actual work of ministry, all that. But there's also another extreme burden that we have uh, I know Leanne and I certainly have it. We, we were on the field and know this very well. And that is the, to care for the souls and the hearts and the lives and the families of our missionaries. One of the things that we try to do whenever we're with them is to make sure that they know that they can, they can unload their burdens with us, that they can share those stresses with us. Um, all of our, just for example, all of our missionaries in New York City, the ones that are there, there's none of them that are from there. It's all new to them. It's all something that they have, that God has called them to, and they've had to learn. And all those stressful things that I talked about, they have to deal with that every single day. That's life. And obviously, they have to learn some rhythms and and ways of of managing stress. They're not living in a hotel out of a suitcase. It's a little bit, you know, that part's easier. But the reality is that as a network, as people that really want to be serious about mission and seeing the gospel multiplied around the world, one of, our, one of our significant burdens is to make sure our missionaries are doing well internally in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls. And part of that really comes back to um, making sure that we're all pointing our hearts and pointing our minds in the right direction when it comes to dealing with all that stuff. Um, for, for most of us, we've, we're, we've hear a, a steady diet recipe uh, for how to deal with stress in this world today, which really comes down to express it, tell everybody about it, uh, find ways to remedy it, find ways to, to, uh, to reconcile it, find ways to, to make sure the people that wronged you know they wronged you so that you can, be, so that you can have some sort of, a, of retribution or some sort of a recompense. But the reality is the Bible does not teach us to deal with anxiety and stress that way. It doesn't teach us to just kind of unload everything on everybody. It does, now I'm gonna be careful, it does tell us to unload those things on God the Father, and trusted and loved brethren and family. There is a time and place for unloading those things, but it's not for everybody all the time, everywhere we go. The scripture actually gives us another pathway for dealing with these anxieties, dealing with these stresses, and it's not about looking out, it's about looking up. And today we're going to be examining Psalm chapter 95. In Psalm chapter 95, what we have is, uh, we have a, 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 really a, a guide for us how to deal with the things that we are, that we're walking through, how to deal with the stresses in life. And Psalm 95 was a, was a, a psalm or a song really that they would sing as they entered into worship. So as they're going into the temple or the tabernacle, wherever they were, we believe that it was written, that this was written by David. Hebrews chapter four gives us some reference uh, to that. But what we really, what we really see is that this is something that the people of God would say and would speak as they were going into worship. Now keep that in mind because the context matters when you read what they are about to say. Okay, so when you read what they're about to say, uh, remember, this is going into, uh, going into worship. So if you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 95, we, all, we read it, actually we, we, we spoke it in the worship just a minute ago. 
Psalm 95, they're going into worship. And what does he say? Verse one, they'll say, come, let's shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Remember that. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. You, you, you hear a theme here in verses one and two? Shout, shout, shout. Verse three, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it and his hands formed the dry land. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, um, I just wanna thank you, God, for bringing us together today, Lord. And I pray that for many of us here, that we would, that we would, Find in Psalm 95 today a pathway for us to deal with the emotional issues that we have in our lives. That you would show us, God, that the, that the, the remedy for us dealing with the stresses and the anxieties and what the word calls fear is not managing all of those things but turning our minds and our faces and our hearts towards you and letting our words express those very things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Remember, like we said, in, in, our, in our world today, we're, we're very, very aware of the brokenness, of the hurt, of the stresses, of the feelings of inadequacies that are in our culture that many of us have experienced. That's not bad, I'm not saying that's bad, at all. However, most of the time, the remedy that we are told, the remedy that is put in front of us is not one that points our faces towards God. It one's, it's one that points our faces continually outward or even inward. And what we find in that is it's just an endless loop of, of, of trouble that never gets us anywhere. And so Psalm 95, as they're going into worship, the, the writer says, first of all, we shout triumphantly to God. He says shout three different times. Uh, they would say this as they were going into worship. Uh, and it calls for us to express a, 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 a real sense of gratitude. Notice what he says right there in verse 2. He says, let's enter his presence with what? Thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to seize on today. We're going to seize on the role of gratitude in the life of that we have in our heart life, in our soul life, in our emotional health. Now, if, if we're talking about gratitude, uh, a more common word that you and I might use might be thanks. And so we're gonna look at a couple of different ways and that's what the, the psalmist he says. He says, enter into the presence, enter into worship with a shout. Enter in with what? With thanksgiving. And so we're gonna talk about what does it mean and how do we really do that? How do we let gratitude uh, become become a, a, a staple part of how we conduct our lives. Because here's what I think we're going to find. Here's what I think Psalm 95 will teach us if we'll really embody these things and we'll really let these, these, these truths become a part of our heart. What we'll find is that an attitude and a spirit, and watch this, we're going to deal with this first, a practice of gratitude and thankfulness has a way of orienting our hearts and our minds and our whole lives toward God. It has a way of leveling us in a way that just dealing with our problems doesn't always do because when we just deal with the stresses, when we deal with anxieties, you know what happened? We just, too many times, we end up just thinking about them even more. 
And what do we do? We try to create some system to manage the anxiety or to manage the fear. And then we become anxious about that. We have to manage that. And, and you just get into this endless loop of behavioral modification and life management, hedging bets, you know, putting security over here, depositing money there, you know, safety things here, and, and just constantly building walls around ourselves that just create more and more anxiety because you get to the point we just can't manage it all. And so what Psalm 95 is going to show us is that's not really the way we do it. Psalm 95 is going to show us that a gratitude, a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness that takes our eyes off of the things that are around us, that lets go of the fear that really is what's at the heart of anxiety. Let's go of the fear and turns those things toward God is the only path. Let's, let's go back and read what he says. Well, first of all, let, let's, let's do this. We're going to look at some internal and some external components and characteristics of gratitude, okay, or of thankfulness. And so we're going to start with the external. Because the external are the things that we, we can observe a little bit more. And, and, and we're probably a little bit better at dealing with the external things. And so for the external, that's what we would call thanksgiving. It's the, it's the giving of thanks. We have a whole holiday toward it in November, right? Uh, thanksgiving is where we're going to start. Listen to what he says in verses 3. Listen to where he starts to go in verses 3, 4, and 5. Why do they, why do they shout with, with thanksgiving? Why do they shout triumphantly? Because of all the things that God has done in their life and because of all their success and their great houses and their beautiful families? No, none of that. Verse three, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. So first of all, Thanksgiving is first of all, what we're gonna, what we wanna, I want you to see and, and realize in a very practical way, thanksgiving is first of all confessional. It's confessional. What do I mean by that? I mean it's something we actually say with our mouths. It's, it's things that we express. That's why they would come in and say, he is a great God. His hands form the seas. His hands form the mountains. That you know, they weren't, they weren't making it so by their words, but they were declaring it and they were making sure that everybody knew that this is what we're going to say with our mouth. It was a confessional statement to orient themselves back up to God. He is a great God. Well, yeah, but what about the, the problems? That I, no, no, no. He's a great God. He created the mountains. He created the seas. He created this world. He created all of these things. He knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows everything that's going on in this world. He knows the days that today when I might feel like I'm prosperous. And he knows the seasons and times when I might not be. But it, none of that matters. None of the circumstances change any of the fundamental truth of the reality that he is a great God. It is confessional. And I'm just telling you folks, you and I do not have... We do not have the power in our words the way, the way God has power in her, his word, right? I mean, Genesis chapter one, what he spoke the word, the world into being, and it happened, right? You and I do not have that power. So do not hear me say anything other than that. However, 
Your words, my words, they do have an element of creative power. They absolutely do. The more you say something, the more you talk about something, the more it becomes a reality. The more you believe it, the more you start to kind of craft the world around you. And here's the other one that happens even faster. And and I think a lot of us forget this. The more you say something, the more the people around you begin to believe that about you or whatever situation you're describing. And so that's why having a, a, um, a confession of thanksgiving is so critical. It's so important because what we're really doing is we're expressing the narrative of our life and what God is calling us to do when we're in times of stress, when we're in times of, of, of joy, is that our outward expression to the masses, to the public, to the world is one of gratitude and worship to God. Again, we're not saying that you don't express your hurts and pains out loud, but, but the scripture calls us to express those to God and to those we love, not to just everybody in the world. And so a posture of thanksgiving, first of all, is confessional. Uh, so number one, thanksgiving is confessional. But the second thing is on the external component, thanksgiving is also an offering. It's something that we're giving thanksgiving giving, right? That's the giving part of it. There's the giving part of it um, that, that, that adds to that as well. And so, so two elements of thanksgiving that really um, are, are something that come external from us, confessional and an offering. And what, they're, what these do, remember, these kind of help create a narrative of our lives. Now, don't miss what we're saying here. This is not about creating some false idea of what you are. This is not about hypocrisy. This is not about fake it till you make it. This is about believing and expressing the things that you deeply know to be true. He is a great God. Has there ever been a day that you felt like he was not a great God? I have. Has there ever been a day that you've wondered, God, did you really create all, did you create this? But, well, maybe it's just me. I've thought those things but it doesn't change them, does it? We're still confessing. And so as we confess, what we're doing is we're creating the narrative to say, I'm gonna choose to believe. And we're also creating a legacy for those around us, not the least of which is our family to go, yeah, you know what, it's tough right now, but in our family, we're gonna praise the Lord. We're gonna give grace to the Lord. We're gonna thank him. I, I probably, you know, I may not feel like I can thank him for the tough things happening in my life today, but I can thank him that he is still creator God. And he is a great God above all others. And these things, what they do, you find that as we stop focusing on the anxieties and really what they are is fears, and fear comes from a sense of loss, as we begin to stop focusing on the fears and the loss that we're trying to protect ourselves from, and we point ourselves to Jesus, we realize, I don't really have anything to hold on to to worry about anyways. So what difference does it make? I can trust God with everything because I can't lose what I don't have, right? I can't lose what's not mine. And the fear is gone at that point. So there's, a, there's an element of external, uh, there's, a, there's a thankfulness that comes from confession. There's also an offering that comes from giving something else. Let's turn the corner though, because we would be, it, would be, um, it wouldn't be very smart for us to just deal with the external things because we can do that, right? We can thank the Lord. We can do all of that. We can thank God. We can say all the right things. And, uh, and we can convince everybody around us. And we've done it ourselves. But until we really dive deep down into the, inter- the internal components of gratitude and thanksgiving, we don't really get 
um, to the heart of it. So let's go back into the scripture. In Psalm 95, <clears throat> look what he says. After, after he just comes off saying his hands formed the dry land in verse 5. In verse 6, he says, come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Oh, man. There's an internal component to thanksgiving and gratitude. And if, if, the, if the external one is, is thanksgiving, the internal one would be what I would call thankfulness, which is the thing that just sort of inhabits uh, the, the, our soul. Thankfulness is something that, that comes from experiencing the love of God. Let me say that again. A thankfulness, a gratitude that's deep in our heart and soul comes from personally experiencing the love of God. Let me ask you this morning. If you dig down deep into your heart, deep into your soul this morning, can you say, I have personally experienced the love of God? I don't mean in just an objective I know God loves me, I know God, you know, God loves everybody, or just because I believe the Bible, I believe that God loves, that's all, that's all good. That's, that's part of the confessional side of it, right? But, but the other side of it, the deeper side of it is, uh, have you truly experienced the love of God in a personal way? Because if we haven't really experienced God's love in a personal way, it's kind of hard to be thankful, right? I mean, let's be real. It, 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 it's hard to be thankful for something that we don't really feel like we ever didn't have or that we feel like we didn't need or just something that's uh, an idea out there. It's, it's hard to be thankful for things that we didn't ever feel like we needed and didn't have. One of the great joys this week in, uh, in New York City was as we were able to take part in ministry, um, we told our students that you're going you're gonna to do a lot of work and you're going you're gonna to meet a lot of uh, people and you're, there's going to be, um, you know, some people that might be rude to you, but most people are going to be very uh, thankful. And, and that was true. That's the way it is everywhere. I said, but the reality is you're not here for what you can do for them. I mean, you are some of that. Some, but the reality is you're here because God wants to do something in us. I'm not here because I have something to give. We're here and you're here today because something has been given to us. Something has been given to you. Something has been given to me that we didn't earn. We didn't have. We didn't have an ample supply of it. We just took a little bit more. No, no, no. We are not here to give the great things of what we are. We are here to give what was given to us graciously. And we stand thankful going, I have experienced the love of God personally because I was one of those people who had need. I was one of those people who didn't have hope. I was one of those people who was unloved. I was one of those people who, who knew that I was broken. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. You've been there. 
You don't like remembering those days. You don't like remembering the things that happened, but you like remembering the way God came through, amen? Because he did. And so when, when, the, when the writer is talking about remembering that internal component, he's saying, don't forget that God did something great. And he says, come, let us worship and bow down. We are the sheep of his pasture. What a gentle and loving statement that he makes about us. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's what he wants us to remember when we come to that point of stress and anxiety and fear and all that. He wants you to remember and he wants you to experience his love. I don't know, maybe you're in here today and maybe you would say, I'm not sure I have really experienced the love of God personally. I kind of have a hard outer shell. I don't, I don't love easily and I don't really remember a time that I felt loved as well. Can I, just, can I just encourage you today? I just want you to understand, this is gonna seem so simple for those of us who have been in church for a long time, for some of you, but I think some of us just need to hear that God loves you personally. Not just the idea of you, he loves you. And when we can begin to truly embrace that and truly understand that, that's when a spirit and a heart of thankfulness begins to become the reality of who we are. There's a, there's a second component uh, to internal thankfulness, and that is it's hope, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's anchored in hope. Thankfulness is also anchored in hope, and that hope is that God is good and has a plan for my life. Let me just read that again, what it says in verse seven. He says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Did you know that you are under the care of the good shepherd? Part of our anchored hope, part of how we, you and I can have a deep gratitude in our lives is when we come to believe that God really does love me. He really does. And he really does want the best for me. I gotta confess, for many years, I had this idea that if, um, if I wanted something, then obviously God didn't want that. And granted, there were a lot of cases in which that was true. <laughs> there were a lot of cases in which that was true. But what happened is I developed this idea that whatever I want, God doesn't want that for me. And what it really came down to is I really kind of believed that God doesn't want me to enjoy my life. He just wants me to, he just wants me to serve him and he wants me to just be disciplined and he just, you know, what I'm doing is wrong. If I just did this right, then he would be more pleased. I had this idea and it drove me, it drove me to a lot of work. It drove me to some service in ministry. It really did. But it wasn't, I wasn't being driven by the love of God. I wasn't being driven by, by a sense of my needs being met and being poured out. I was driven by the sense that, well, I'm not good enough, so I gotta do a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not strong enough, so I gotta, I gotta do a little bit more. I really messed up, so I gotta do something. You know, and so it was this idea um, that, that I, I, just, I just wasn't good enough. And for some of you in here today, uh, you, you might not really believe that God has the best plan for your life. 
And you say, how, how, would, how, would, how would you know that? Ask ourselves this question. I have to ask myself, I was asking myself this question this week. What if God called me to do that? What if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, I need you to go do this. I need you to move your family. I need you to send your kids. I need you to divest yourself of whatever financial security you have. I need you to do this. But trust me, listen, you are my sheep. I love you. And what I'm asking you to do is not to punish you. It's because I love you. It feels hard, but this is actually an act of love. And I'm calling you to do this thing. You see, if I believe that God wants what's best for me, if I believe truly in my heart that, that, I, that I'm anchored in hope and that I am one of the sheep of his pasture, then I'm willing to say, God, I, I will let go of whatever it is you call me to let go of, whether it's my financial security, whether it's my children, whether it's my family, whether it's my future, whatever it may be. I trust those things 100% to you. Why? Because you love me and you want only the best thing for me. Do you believe that this morning? Some of us do. Some of us aren't there yet. Some of us are still wrestling with that. I want to encourage you this morning. The worship team's going to come up. I want to, I want to, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to look around and realize you're in his pasture. Don't look around at all the circumstances. Look around at who the shepherd is. You are his beloved child. There is nothing that he wants for you that isn't the best thing for you. There is nothing that he ever planned for you. There is nothing he ever called you to. There's no hard thing he ever invited you to that wasn't the absolute best thing for you that he would just say, if you would just do this, it's gonna be so incredible. If for no other reason that you'd be doing it with Jesus. How about that? How about that for a good day in the pasture? How about that for being his sheep? the shepherd right there amongst the sheep, right there with you and right there with me. Managing the peaks and valleys and the anxieties of our life. We could talk about all these kind of coping mechanisms and all these kind of things. And I know some of those are necessary. I totally get it. But for most of us, the remedy that God would call us to do today is to walk the path of Psalm 95 and point our eyes back upward and say, you are a great God. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you this morning and I just pray, God, that you would help us to understand that we are your sheep and you love us. You could not love us anymore. There is nothing you have ever asked us to do that wasn't out of love for us. 
We don't work for you. We are not your hired hands. We are your sons and daughters, beloved children of God, as 1 John 3, 1 says. That's who we are. God, I pray that today that somebody in this place would remember that. Somebody in this place would know that. I pray somebody today that that would touch them so deeply that it would transform their heart and soul. And those anxieties and those fears that they've been wrestling with, God, they would turn them over to you and just with a confession of saying, you are a good and loving God. We pray this in Jesus' name today.